This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Uh, I know how the story ends, what I said. It made me think of Psalm 90. We were looking today in our, our time management class. Uh, yes, this will be a subtle plug for that. Um, 9 a.m. next Sunday will be part two. But uh, Moses prays, you know, uh, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And he says, right, that, that our life, whether it's 70 or 80 years, or maybe we have a long life and we're in the 90s or something, right, that, that in the grand scheme of things, the scripture says our life is but a, but a breath. It's a mist, right? We go outside and we breathe and we have the, the, the breath. What is that? Fog? Somebody science me. Like, what's going on there? What is that? No one knows. Your breath makes a cloud, right? Condensation, sure, right? But you breathe and it's there for like a second, you know, two, and then it's gone. And the Bible says that is what our life is like. Whether we live a long life or a short life, it's, it's really brief and really quick. And so the Bible tells us that we are to make the most of the time we have, to be wise and to make the most of the time we have. Uh, we live in a world that it, it is a problem. Um, how many of you, show of hands, would be like, you know, I, I'm kind of busy. Show of hands, busy. Okay, that's the majority of us. How, feeling frantic in that at all? Anybody a little scrambled, a little frantic? Okay, that, I don't believe that's God's design for us, right? I don't believe we're, we're, we're meant to be frantic and scrambling, um, but that's the culture we live in, which is why I think it's important for us to learn how to make the most of our time, to manage our time, because it is short, and we do want to make the most of this time for the next life. So let me just encourage you, next Sunday, 9 a.m., um, we'll do part two of time management. We'll get practical about it um, b- because we, we do know how the story ends, and we want to make the most of, of our part of the story. Right, we want to leverage it well. We want to stand before the Lord one day and hand him our, our timesheet, so to say, and be proud of what we're offering him. Right? Know that, that it, we, we honored him well with the time that we spent. Um, so that is not anything to do with Philippians. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 today, we're going to jump back in it. Uh, we are going through the book of Philippians. Uh, by the end of today, we will be halfway through uh, the book of Philippians. And so Philippians chapter 2. Now before we really get going into it, I just want to ask you to consider within yourself, right? A- ask yourself this question, or really answer within yourself this question. Do you believe the Bible to be the authoritative word of God? Now, you don't have to answer out loud. You don't have to show hands. It's okay if you're like, I don't, I don't know. Okay, great. This is a safe place to ask questions and to, to explore where we are, right? I-, I believe it's the authoritative word of God. I believe that these are God's words given to us, and they are true. Um, do, do you believe that as well? Do you believe it's the authoritative word of God? Next question, are you committed to walking out what God tells us to do? Right? Are we committed to saying, okay, I believe this to be true, and I will give my life to obeying the Scripture? Because what we're going to look at today is not some like motivational, feel-good passage um, but if we allow it, it has the potential to just smack us right in the face. Uh, has the poten- in, in the best possible way, of course, right? Has the potential to really, really challenge us. So Philippians chapter 2, right? Um, verse, I'm going the wrong way here. Philippians chapter 2. Where's, the, where's Philippians? Golly. All right, here we go. Verse 14. We ready? The word of God. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. 
Some of you are like, hold on, I need to text my, I need to text my friend to get here. You know, some of you are thinking like, I just got called in from work. Like, I don't want to deal with this one today, right? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or, in, or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. As a recap, previously in Philippians, um, since it's been a few weeks since we've been in Philippians, um, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi around 60 AD, uh, so approximately 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Paul writes this letter to the Christians, the church in Philippi. Uh, what we see in chapter 1 and we see in other parts of the letter is that Paul is in prison as he's writing this. He's in prison most likely in Rome, um, but that's okay with him. He's all right with it. Uh, not, not because he, he wants to be in prison, right? That's not what he would opt for, uh, but because he knows that even while in prison, as long as there's breath in his lungs, that he has the opportunity to honor God wherever he is, right? He, he says that um, in chapter 1, um, verse 20, he says, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Right? Paul, in prison, writing a letter to the, to the church in Philippi, um, most scholars say that a common theme of this letter is, is rejoicing, is joy. So he's got joy whilst in prison because he knows that he can even make the most of that time as well. Right? That he can advance the gospel even while he's in suffering circumstances. And, and the purpose of the letter to Philippi and to anyone after that, that is a Christian and is reading this letter is to live in a like manner, right? That, that our lives at every moment of our life, every breath that we have in the, the good circumstances or the bad circumstances, in the morning or the evening or the middle of the night when your baby wakes you up, right? At any point of our lives that we are to honor Christ with the breath that we have. He says in verse 27 to the church, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's Paul's encouragement to the Christians then. And today, if you are a Christian, that's Paul's encouragement to us to let our manner of life represent the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. That we would honor him at every point of our lives. Verses 12 and 13, the verses that, that proceed right up to what we're looking at today, I think give a great summary of the book of Philippians. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Here's the imperative verb of this sentence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Christians, work out your salvation. What is salvation? It's the gift 
of, of new life, of eternal life given to us who believe in Jesus. The Bible tells us from Genesis to the very end that all of humanity has chosen to walk away from God. That at some point in our lives, and, and we're all guilty of this, rather than perfectly trusting and obeying God and his will, we've all chosen to go our own way. And when we do that, we are building up a wall of sin between us and God. We are disconnecting ourselves from his presence. We're putting the poison of hell in our, our souls, and, and the Bible says that our sin is what leads us to eternal death, that we will for all of eternity be separated from the presence of God because of our choice to sin and to disobey God. Salvation is the work of Jesus to come and rescue us from our path of death and put us back on the path of life in his presence. Salvation is the work of Jesus to forgive our full record of sins and to reconcile us back into relationship with him. Salvation is the spirit of Christ in us. Christ in us, uniting us as one with God forever. We're saved by faith in Jesus. Jesus came and, and we were expected to live this perfect life, always following after God. And we didn't, but Jesus did. Jesus perfectly lived from his birth to his death and into his resurrection, never sinning against the will of the Father, always perfectly obeying. Jesus then died on the cross, not, not to make for a great story, but because the punishment of my sin was death. What I deserved from my disobedience to God was, was death, was separation from him. So Jesus suffered that punishment. And in his resurrection, because he actually is alive today, he's able to offer us an exchange. That if we will trust him, genuinely believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and surrender to him in faith, that he will take our record of sin against God, and, and it will be settled on the cross and, and buried in the tomb and that God will no longer see us as sinful, but God will see us as righteous, just as Jesus is righteous. Th that is salvation. We are given a second chance. We're given new life with God by faith alone in Jesus. What does it mean to work out that salvation? Well, salvation is Christ in me. Working out that salvation is putting in the work to reflect Christ with my life. The way I like to say it is working out your salvation is putting in the work to become like Jesus. I don't put in the work to earn God's love. I don't put in the work so, so, that, so that he'll be proud of me. I put in the work because I want to reflect him, because I want to honor him with my life. To work out my salvation is to put in the work to become like Jesus, whatever it takes. That's the command that Paul is giving to Christians in the book of Philippi. If you are a Christian today, that is the command of Scripture for you and to me. Work out your salvation. But look how that verse begins, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, dot, 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 work out your salvation. Therefore is a cause and effect word, right? I eat donuts, therefore I gain weight, right? Gaining weight is the effect, the cause, eating donuts. 
Therefore is that connection word, right? So if you got therefore and the effect is work out your salvation, what is the cause of that, right? What, what enables us to work out our salvation? What motivates us to work out our salvation? Therefore, and Paul is pointing back to the verses just before that in, in chapter two, the humility of Jesus, that Jesus, God himself, would willingly let go of what was rightfully his, his place, his status in heaven, to come and to rescue you and me, who on our own chose to disobey and rebel against God. And Romans 5 says, while we were still sinning against him, that that's when Christ came and died for us. Not after we decided, okay, no, no, no I'm going to follow you now. Not, not once we, like, you know, performed well enough or a certain length of time where, where he says, okay, now I'll step in and do something. But while we were still actively sinning, the humility of Jesus preferred our good over himself. And he came and he served us to the point of dying for us. Paul says that's how we are saved and that is the motivation to work out our salvation. We will never sustain a life of becoming like Jesus if we are not motivated by the humility of Jesus. And so Paul says, therefore, because of his humility towards you and because of his work to save you and to give you eternal life, work out your salvation. Put in the work of becoming like Jesus. Devote your life to that work. Okay, Paul. We're in. Now what? What does that look like? Get practical with us. Now we might think he'd go to the Ten Commandments, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Serve the poor. Go to the nations. Reach the lost, right? All, all of those would be true, right? Those are reflective of Jesus. That, that is part of how we work out our salvation. But would any of you, if you didn't know what verse 14 said, would any of you hear the command of Jesus Work out your salvation and think, okay, I know what he's going to say next. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Like, let's be honest. Is that what you're thinking is coming next? Put in the work to become like Jesus. That, that today we would in, increase by 1% um, to become more like Jesus. And tomorrow it's another step forward. And the next day it's another step forward. And we're like, okay, I know what these steps are. Quit grumbling and complaining. Right? Is that what we would expect the, the command to be? Do all things without grumbling or complaining, and yet that's what, what Paul tells us. Do everything. Right? So let's, let's define some words here. All right, Sam, I'm glad you're in here, right? Thank you for stepping in. If I were to tell you, Sam, hey, can you grab everything off that bar? What are you grabbing off that bar? Maybe not in one trip, right? But what, what are you grabbing? Just donuts? Wow, okay. See, and now this is why we got to study the scripture, y'all. If we say grab everything off that bar, oh, right. This, what does that mean? You missed out, got to go, right? We're grabbing everything off the bar, no, not just a donut. See, you were giving the example of what it's not doing, right? That's what you were doing. Thank you, Sam. We appreciate that, right? So if we're like, hey, go grab everything off the bar, and you come back, and you've taken 50% of it, how, have you grabbed everything off the bar? No, right? So, so the word everything means, work with me, 
Everything. Most of it? All of it, right? Okay, so we're talking about all of something. All of something. And Paul says, do everything, all of what you do with your life, do it without grumbling or disputing. The word grumbling, okay, let's get into the Greek, right? It means grumbling. It means complaining. It means negatively whining. It means bringing a negativity to, to your life and to those around you, both externally and internally, right? Okay, I don't want to grumble out here, but I'll just grumble inside of myself. Nope. Do everything without grumbling, without complaining, without negatively whining, without being a negative Nancy, without being a pessimistic Paul, right? I got to get both, both sides of the table there, right? Do everything without grumbling or disputing. Disputing is fighting against another person, is bringing conflict and strife against other people, right? It's, it's moving a situation backwards rather than forwards. There's a difference in disputing and disagreement or, or, or kind of a candid, like, constructive feedback, right? That's, that's moving something forward. Disputing is moving something backwards. It's fighting against. It's pushing against rather than moving towards. So th those are the words... Now let's read the command of God's word again, right? Remember, you ask yourself, do I believe this to be true and am I willing to walk it out? God's command to us to put in the work of becoming like Jesus, to live life in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ, to honor God whether in life or in death, Paul's command here is to do all things without Grumbling or disputing. All things. That means when worship ends and it's time to clean up, that we tear down without grumbling. That when someone's like, hey, can you grab this for me? We, we, don't, we don't grumble that we didn't get to take off to lunch as quick, whether externally or internally. Right When we wake up in the morning and we're not a morning person and we got to get in the car and get in traffic, that we go through traffic without, what's the word? Hot <laughs> dog it. When we get to work and our boss is a knucklehead and doesn't listen or doesn't give us clear instruction, that we don't grumble or dispute either directly to our boss or that we don't vent to our coworkers. That's not venting, that's just grumbling to someone else. When we get home and it's been a long day and we thought that our spouse would do A, B, and C of chores and our spouse has only done A or B, that we're not going to grumble because they didn't do B or C. When we hoped that, that, that we would have our, our roommates would have cooked dinner or, or cleaned something up or, and they didn't, that we're not going to grumble with them or, or dispute with them. At school... When the professor's the jerk, you're like, are you kidding me? Uh, this, we're not going to grumble. Like, we're supposed to do all, all things, everything, without grumbling or disputing. When the cashier is moving slowly at the checkout line, and you're like, how difficult is it just to scan something, please? 
Or the person in front is just having a conversation, and you're like, hey, we are to go through the checkout line without grumbling or disputing. On Sundays, when the sermon's going long, never here. We are to do all things without grumbling or disputing. At community group, when we showed up and people didn't welcome us well, we are to do all things without grumbling or disputing. When your parents ask you to do a chore that you don't really want to do, guess what? The Bible applies to children and teenagers as well. Wild. This is incredibly difficult to walk out because it's all-encompassing. It's, it's in the morning, it's in the middle of the day, it's in the afternoon, it's in the evening, it's when I'm feeling energized and when I'm not, when I've had my eight hours of sleep or when I'm running on two and a half. It's when I've got money, when I don't, when I'm you know, well-fed or if I'm, I'm gr- I, 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 hangry, right? We are to do all things without grumbling, externally or internally. How difficult is this? This food wasn't cooked how I wanted. I don't like broccoli anymore. My house is too small. My house is too big. I have to rent, I can't buy. It's too expensive. No one likes me. No one's nice to me. No one reaches out to me. You're not loving me how I like to be loved. You're not meeting my needs or preferences. I don't like the location of the church. I don't like the chairs of the church. Coffee wasn't, wasn't good. They don't have this program. Do everything, everything without grumbling or disputing. Why would Paul say this? Because it is impossible to reflect Christ while grumbling or disputing. Grumbling and disputing never images Jesus. It is impossible to obey the command to work out my salvation while grumbling or disputing. It is impossible for me to reflect the love of Christ while fighting against you. At what point in a dispute can someone go, that's what Jesus looks like? At what point in my grumbling that I'm not getting my way can can someone go, that's what God sounds like? It is impossible to reflect Christ while we grumble and dispute. The way of Christ is humility. It's considering all others more significant than myself. I grumble and I fight with you because I didn't get what I wanted. And it wasn't how I liked it. Now again, I'm not talking about a a, a disagreement moving forward. I'm talking about fighting against moving backwards. Not helping bring a solution, but adding to the problem. But that's not the way of humility, which is the way of Jesus. 
The way of Jesus is love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You know what's not listed in the fruit of the Spirit? I bet y'all can guess. Grumbling or disputing. It's impossible to reflect the fruit of Christ in our lives when we are grumbling and disputing. The message of the gospel, what people should see in this gathering, is a message of hope and life and joy and love. What kind of story are we telling when someone new walks in and they just see a bunch of sourpusses? I don't really know what that is, but it's, I guess I, my parents said that. It's a grumbler, thank you. It's a grumbler. When they walk in and there's just a bunch of like, can you believe that? What's Mopers, just moping around. That doesn't reflect Christ well. Which is why Paul says, hey, hey, do everything without grumbling or disputing. Because we're created to reflect God. Genesis 1, the very beginning, let us make mankind in our image. The purpose of God creating humanity, humanity was to create people that would reflect him to the world around them. We cannot fulfill our God-given purpose when we grumble and dispute. And so Paul says, do everything. Case study, Israel. For hundreds of years, they were slaves in Egypt. And God, he hears their cries. And he steps up and he miraculously sets Israel free. He saves them from slavery. He gives them life. And what do they do? <sighs> There's a sea in front of us. How are we supposed to get out of here? So God parts the sea, right? They walk through and try land. <sighs> We're hungry. We don't have any food. So God gives them food. I'm tired of this. I have to eat this again? They're, where's our water? So God gives them water. Right? They're continually grumbling within each other. After God has miraculously rescued them from slavery in Egypt, they get out and they're immediately like, oh, this is not good enough. They start disputing within one another against their leadership, against Moses and Aaron, and they're like, oh, maybe we can form a coup and go back to Egypt. Right? They're, they're grumbling and disputing has tainted their view so much that they think going back to slavery is better. Right? And God's like, what are you doing? God rescued them because he loved them. And not just because he loved them, but he loved the whole world. And he wanted the whole world to see what it was like to have a relationship with God. That the whole world would look at Israel and go, man, that God loves them so much, that God provides for them, that God has a purpose for them, that God has a plan for them, and what they see in Israel is, your purpose is not good enough. Your provision, it doesn't taste good anymore. Your plan, it doesn't make sense to me. And it com completely thwarts God's purpose for their lives. It's impossible to reflect God when we complain and dispute. It, it doesn't work. And what an insult. How many, how many parents are here? Let me see. Show him, raise them high. It, and, and can your children communicate? Yeah? Some of you, some of you are like, ah, oh, roughly. 
How does it make you feel when you take your paycheck and you go and buy groceries and then you spend your time to make a meal and to put food together and then you put it on the table and the first thing out of their mouth is this again. I don't like this anymore. Right? Parents, can I get an amen? You're like, all right, let's go fight. Let's do this. Like, let's go. You know, how insulting is it? How, how self-absorbed and entitled is it when, when our parents put a... Do, I promise you, children, and we're all children to, to someone, right? There's other things they would like to spend their money on, right? I promise you. You, your, your parents don't want to continue to drive a beater 2006 Honda Pilot, right? How, how ridiculous is it that, that we'll then complain about their provision and, and we'll grumble about what they give us and we'll dispute because we don't like what they ask us to do. And, and, yet, and yet we'll do the same with God. I don't like what, I, I should have more. I've worked hard. I should have this. I don't like the way it's come to me. Oh, God, when are you going to answer my prayer? When are you going to do what I want you to do? When are you going to do it the way that I want you to do it? When are you going to give me what I want? When we grumble and dispute, we're just like the Israelites. Hey, let me rescue you out of slavery into freedom. And now you're going to grumble and dispute because you don't like the freedom you have the way it is? And that's what we do when we grumble and dispute. It's impossible to reflect Jesus and to work out his salvation. We are to be, as Paul says in verse 15, blameless, innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We are to shine brightly as a light in a dark world. That when people see us, they should see the light of Jesus. They should see the character of Jesus. They should see the hope of Jesus. Not self-centered grumbling and disputing. We cannot point people to the hope of Jesus while we are grumbling and disputing. It, it doesn't make sense. They're opposite directions. And so Paul says, do everything without grumbling and disputing. Okay, well then what are we gonna what are we gonna say? <laughs> right? Some of you are like, I guess I'll just stay home and not talk. <laughs> you know, like you haven't been to my job. How am I supposed to make it? All right? It's 50% of what me and my coworkers talk about. It's just Grumbling and disputing. Verse 16. Right, so the command, do all things without grumbling and disputing. Verse 15, that you would shine brightly as lights in a dark world. Verse 16, holding fast to the word of life. We're to speak words of life. We're to live lives that, that point to the hope and life found in Jesus, right? We're to make our lives a megaphone of the life that Christ brings us. 
Hold fast to the word of life. It, fill our whole minds and souls with the word of life, with truth. This makes me think of Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart. Philippians translation, I have held fast to the word of life that I might not sin against you. How do we eliminate grumbling and disputing? We replace it with the word of life. We, we input the word of hope and truth and joy and love. We fill our lives with the word of life and it pushes out grumbling and disputing. Makes me think of Psalm 1. Verse 3 is a, is a verse that I think we would all be like, yes, please, I'll take that in my life. Psalm 1 verse 3 says that he, she is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Let's do participation, show of hands. Who wants that for their life? If you're not raising your hand, you're lying. Because we all want that. Okay, how do we get there? Let's go backwards to verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man, verse 3 is a blessed life, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, I'm going to add to this verse, nor associates with grumbling and disputing in their life, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Listen, we... We have control of this. You and I have the choice of whether we are going to meditate, think on, spend time with the word of life or not. No one is forcing you to or, or not to. He's very clear. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you and I would shine brightly in a dark world. Kill complaining eradicate it from our lives, from our minds, from our hearts. Eradicate fighting against one another. Get rid of it. It doesn't reflect Christ. How? Hold fast to the word of life. Input more of this. Become more like this. Think more on the word of life. It's how we can eradicate grumbling and disputing. And the result of that is a mutual joy among one another. Right, we see, Paul says, the effect, the eventual trickle-down effect of this life, second part of verse 16, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. As we work out our salvation, we, we build up a life of rejoicing for ourselves and for others. Paul's like, as you work out your salvation, as you do all things without grumbling or disputing, as you shine brightly the light of Jesus in the dark world, it, it will be to my rejoicing. In the end, in heaven, I will rejoice. Or even now, if I'm suffering and my life is being poured out as a sacrifice, I rejoice because you are walking this out. And it's going to be the reverse effect as well. He says, you should rejoice as well in this. It makes for a life of joy. Work out your salvation. How? 
Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Yes, there's other things to do, but in this context, Paul says, hey, here's the practical thing. And let's not act like it's not something we all need to apply. Do everything. Think everything. Say everything. Act in every way without grumbling, complaining, whining, being pessimistic, or disputing, fighting with one another, pushing against one another. Why? So that you will shine brightly as a countercultural light in this dark world. Everyone else grumbles and complains. We have a God who saved us. We have a God who's promised to provide for us. We have a God who's eternally preparing a home for us. It's worthy of rejoicing, not grumbling or disputing. The next two paragraphs seem a little odd, actually. Paul's giving some, some, some scheduling, logistics, but he's also giving us two models of what it looks like. How someone would write about you, perhaps, if you were living a life free of grumbling or disputing. Let's read verses 19 through 30 together. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. He gives two examples, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he says, Timothy's unlike anybody else. What makes Timothy unique? What was different? He has no self-interest, but is interested in the cause of Christ and your welfare. I, I, I grumble and dispute because I'm interested in myself. Timothy's expression, how we know that he's not grumbling or disputing, is that he's interested in the cause of Christ and your good, your welfare. Epaphroditus. Right? He was sent from the church of Philippi to Paul. He traveled over 800 miles to get to Paul in Rome. Right, That's a lot of travel for us today, much less in 60 AD. Right? He, he nearly died taking money to Paul and supplies to Paul. But he was willing to go. He was sent because the church in Philippi knew that this guy would do whatever it took for the cause of Christ. That he would even give up his life for the sake of the mission of Christ. What's unique about Timothy and Epaphroditus is that they are not self-interested. They are interested in the cause of Christ and the good of others. And they will go to any lengths to live in such a way. 
if your pastor or spouse or roommate or mom or dad or child were writing an example of you, would they write similar things? Would they say that you are not interested in yourself, but you're interested in the cause of Christ and the welfare of others? Would they say that you are willing to even risk your life for the cause of Christ? Grumbling and disputing is inwardly focused. It's, it's about self. Ten out of ten times. And we are to reflect the selfless, humble, life-giving Savior. Timothy and Epaphroditus did that well. Are we the type of people that, that, that those close to you would go, they reflect Jesus well. They're not interested in their, themselves. They're just interested in the good of others. They're contributing to the solution, not, not arguing and making more of the problem. They're not, they're not grumbling about, about themselves. They're, they're advocating for you and for the glory of God. This is the, this is the command of Scripture. Now, here's the deal. We're not going to live it out perfectly, right? If you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm never, ever, ever again going to grumble or dispute. Uh, that, that's not true what we're going to. But what we can do is we can continue to progress, to take steps forward. 2024 can have less grumbling and disputing than 2023. 25 can have less than 24, right? We can continue to take one step forward at a time. And so how can we do that? Um, one, let's start with this. If you really want to apply this, here, here's your first application. Ask someone close to you to be honest with you. No repercussions, not going to get mad. I just want someone to give me a good 360-degree view of myself. Am I a grumbler or a disputer? Do, would you categorize me honestly as someone who's kind of quick to be negative? And, and negativity breeds negativity. Grumbling breeds more grumbling. We're never a part of a solution or moving something forward if we're grumbling and complaining. Ask someone. Be honest with me. And I'm going to be really candid. If we're unwilling to ask someone, we're unwilling to put in the work. Just own it right there. We don't want to know our blind spots. We don't want to know what people actually see or think. So step one, if we want to walk this out, ask someone. Hey, help me see. Love me enough to be honest with me. Number two, we're not going to decrease grumbling and disputing if we're not increasing the word of life. Something is going to fill our minds and our lives and our hearts and our souls. Always. We are a vessel. Something will fill us. It's either the word of life or it's words of grumbling. It's either the word of life or it's words of disputing. Right? If we want to move forward in decreasing grumbling and disputing, we have to increase the words of life. We have to increase his message, his presence, his spirit. 
I mean, it's, it's, it's beating a drum, but the reason we started off um, classes at Austin Life time management is because we're terrible at it. Most of us, at least everyone in there today, was like, I want to spend more time with the Word. Well, it's because everything else crowds it out. If we're not intentional and make plans for it, right? Charlie, what does Ben Franklin say? If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. If we don't make a plan to spend time in His Word, we are making a plan not to spend time in His Word. And so we've got to make a plan for it and be intentional with that. Three, commit to putting yourself in context where the word of life increases its presence. Right? Be at a worship gathering. Right? It, again, every week, be here. Why? Because it's increasing the word of life. If we're not at a worship gathering, there's something else filling our minds and our hearts. If there's not people around us not speaking truth, someone else is speaking something, right? Increase your presence in those contexts. Be in a community group. Be in a discipleship group. If for nothing else, it's more time spent with the word of life being inputted into your mind and your heart. People speaking, hopefully, words of truth. All right, we've got to increase our presence in those contexts. And when you do grumble and dispute, be quick to confess it and repent it. We've talked about this some. James says that there is healing in confession. There's healing in taking ownership what it's doing is it's actually helping our brains be rewired. When we speak something, when we take ownership, it's actually doing biological work to help us rewire our brains away from what we are confessing. So me verbalizing, hey, I'm sorry for grumbling, is helping my brain rewire. That was not a positive thing I want in my life. There's actual healing in it, we're going to grumble and dispute. Be quick to confess it, to own it, and to turn away from it. Evidence of growth is that we're quicker to confess, and the time it takes to get us there is shorter and shorter and shorter. We're, we're going to mess up, okay? We're, we're going to. We, this week, we'll, we'll grumble and dispute. Okay, let's humbly own it and confess it and put in the work to move away. Do everything without grumbling or disputing. And in so, we work out our salvation. We work out our salvation to reflect the beauty of God. And good news, it's God working in you to help you do that. To change your motivation in your heart. And to give you what you need to walk that out in obedience. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.